Do you have something that embarrasses you that you can't imagine talking to a therapist about? Well, can we talk about how it might be helpful? Today, we are discussing five quote-unquote embarrassing things that people can and do talk to therapists about and get help with. From the awkward to the cringy to the potentially shameful, therapy can often be at its best when the taboo is brought into the light. If you've ever felt like there's something that's too much, even for a therapist, or if you've ever wondered about the things that we hear pretty regularly, you'll want to listen to today's Baggage Check. Welcome. Thank you for being here today. I'm Dr. Andrea Bonnier, and this is Baggage Check mental health talk and advice with new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Baggage Check is not a show about luggage or travel. Incidentally, it is also not a show about antique pocket watches. All right, let's get started. So I have been in private practice for quite a while. And before that, I was undergoing almost a decade of training. I've also been teaching about psych disorders for almost 16 years. And my goal when I'm teaching is to convey that although we're going to learn the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, aka the DSM-5, forward and backward, I want to always convey that human beings don't fit into boxes, diagnostic or otherwise. Well, maybe otherwise. I've seen some people contort themselves into some pretty cool cardboard box situations, but that's not what we're talking about here. The disorder labels exist for a reason. And of course, they're helpful. Insurance companies find them helpful. But the truth is, a lot of what I see in my clients in the real world in therapy isn't necessarily a specific diagnosis to a T, but other things that they're struggling with. Things that might feel even indescribable at times. Things that feel off, but they're not really sure why. Things that they might feel like they're the only one who's dealing with. Things that may feel too weird or scary or awkward to talk about. Maybe they have thoughts or feelings or behaviors that feel so odd to them that they've never told anybody else. But ironically, when there's that level of shame involved... When somebody feels so alone because they think that something's wrong, that distress, of course, makes the problem even worse. So I wanted to talk today about some common situations that might be surprising to you about how common they are. And maybe they don't have an official diagnostic label, but therapy could be helpful with them all the same. Number one, intrusive thoughts that feel out of character. Maybe you constantly visualize getting revenge on someone. Maybe you've got frequent urges to just get in your car and drive far away from your family when they're getting on your nerves and leave everything behind. Maybe it's more in the realm of obsessive compulsive disorder where you've got visualizations that feel like they're really harming you. Intrusive, obsessive thoughts that keep coming back over and over again and feel really problematic. But as we've talked about in our prior episodes on OCD, often it's our distress about intrusive thoughts that's the main problem, even more so than the thoughts themselves. 
And again, with OCD, you can start to feel really, really stuck in this pattern. You have an obsessive thought. It feels weighty. It feels dangerous. It feels sticky. And so your distress rises, and then you've got to do something to get rid of it, which raises your anxiety further because you think that the thought is dangerous, which makes you even more anxious the next time it comes about. But whether it's OCD or not, a skilled cognitive behavioral therapist or especially an ACT therapist, acceptance and commitment therapy, can help you manage your intrusive thoughts better. They can help you with cognitive diffusion, that technique that we've talked about here several times, where you become a gentle, curious, non-judgmental observer of your thoughts, and you learn to relate to them differently. Because remember, anxiety and depression are not caused by negative thoughts per se. They're caused by negative thoughts becoming sticky. So if you were to see a CBT therapist and lay some of these intrusive thoughts on the table, you could be helped in developing a plan of action to manage them better, to have them have less of a grip on you, to feel less bothered by them. And especially if they cause you shame, there's something about sharing with another person, a trusted person, and having them bear witness that can help remove some of that shame. You can learn to challenge those thoughts or defuse from them. Or even just learn to coexist with them and have them feel less itchy. So if you've got some intrusive thoughts that you're ashamed of, a good therapist is experienced in dealing with this. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't recognize that you need to have pretty clear informed consent. And every therapist should have a clear procedure for this. And you should be able to get in writing exactly what the policies are for confidentiality. Because you might be concerned that if you share certain intrusive thoughts of harming yourself or harming somebody else, that there could be implications. And again, this should be spelled out for you very clearly. You can even discuss it in a hypothetical way. Typically, intrusive thoughts alone are not going to have any bearing on the types of confidentiality concerns that we have to act on. Typically, it's going to involve much more detail about what your actual motivation is from acting on those thoughts, whether or not there are barriers that you can put in place, what kind of coping tools you have, what your actual intent is, all of that. But of course, in any therapy situation, it's really important to be clear on informed consent. So I didn't want to leave that unsaid. Okay, number two, over-focusing on your appearance or how you are perceived. So there are all kinds of situations with this. There's everything from body dysmorphic disorder, where you might be truly fixated on a perceived flaw in your appearance. It might preoccupy you. You might be afraid of making eye contact. There's all kinds of variations of social anxiety disorder, where you might do what we call excessive self-monitoring. So you're having a conversation, but you can barely listen to what the person's saying because you're wondering, am I making too much eye contact? Am I staring in the wrong place? Did I say something stupid? You might have a particular worry about body odor or bothering someone else or inconveniencing somebody else or offending somebody else. We see this a lot in Japan. Taijin Kyufusho is the specific type of social anxiety that assumes that there's something about often your personal appearance or your body odor or something like that, but often too just this guilt idea of I've offended someone, I've harmed somebody. So it's a particular flavor of social anxiety disorder. 
maybe there's no particular diagnosis, but you feel like you're just not able to be in the moment because you're inside your own head about something about the way that you're perceived. And of course, this can lead to avoidance of social stuff. It can lead to low self-esteem. It can lead to excessive cosmetic procedures, depending on the fear. But on a lower level, these fears are so much more common than you'd think. Things that nag at your thoughts each day. Do you overthink about the way that you talk or how you use your words or you tuck your hair behind your ears so often that it seems like a tick? Many times people are just trapped inside their own head about how they come across and maybe they're in Zoom meetings and they can't help but fixate on what they look like in the meeting on the square on the screen. If you can bring yourself to talk to an experienced therapist about this, they really can help you make some progress. And I promise it's something that they've heard a lot. Number three, fears that you're just embarrassed of. So again, we could go full diagnostic here and talk about specific phobias. That's the category in the DSM, specific phobias. Not just that you have a phobia that's specific, although that's really what it is. They just wanted to put specific in the title. You might picture somebody having a panic attack when they see a spider, or they can't go in an elevator, or they're not going to go to the Grand Canyon because they're fear of heights, or they haven't flown in five years for their fear of flying. That's all really common stuff. But I think we're more, ironically, accepting of that. We talk about those classic fears, even if they're at the level of phobia, much more than we talk about the fears that seem strange. Like maybe you're really, really fearful of getting your foot caught in an escalator. Hopefully I didn't just give you that fear now. Or you're fearful of clowns. Or mayonnaise disgusts you so much that you can't even look at it. Whatever it is, you probably feel like nobody else has this or that you're the only one or that there's something particularly weird about you and yet at the same time you're invalidating it because it doesn't seem like a real phobia. The truth is the same types of techniques that can allow you in cognitive behavioral therapy to address specific phobias that are more classic. So these CBT techniques like exposure therapy and systematic desensitization, they can help with the quirkier, even lower level, but seemingly odd kind of stuff as well. But it might be harder to take that first step because again, you feel silly or you feel weak or you feel juvenile for having these quirky fears. I'm telling you, we therapists, this is what we do best is allowing you a safe and non-judgmental space to actually talk about the stuff that you might be feeling weird about. Number four, behavior that you're ashamed of. Maybe you've really gotten into a pattern of screaming at your kids, or you're developing what looks like a certain addiction behaviorally to binge eating or to compulsive use of pornography. Or you're embarrassed to say how much you're texting and driving. Or maybe you're secretly drinking and you're frightened to actually talk about whether you could have an alcohol issue. Or you've got any number of other compulsive behaviors. Or you're gambling a lot online. Or you've got some bodily habits or bodily tics that you keep engaging in. Or maybe you've done something to somebody else that you're really, really ashamed of. 
and it feels contrary to your values and you almost can't stomach talking about it. Naturally, that's the stuff that feels toughest to talk about. And it's the last thing that you might want to admit out loud, including to a stranger. But of course, that shame makes the anxiety grow typically. And then it becomes a thing, a thing that carries a ton of weight instead of something that can get some air and some space and some light and can be worked through. The thing, thing with a capital T, is going to make you much more miserable than being able to look at it as a challenge that you can collaborate on with a trusted professional. But a trusted professional can help. And again, take it from me, a seasoned therapist, they are hard to shock, (laughs) really. I mean, again, I've been at this about two and a half decades. And at this point, I don't think much could shock me. Finally, number five, being unable to let go of something seemingly minor. So maybe you replay something embarrassing, maybe in your head, something that happens in high school and you're still ruminating on it, or you're constantly cringing about that comment that you made that seemed so ignorant, or you really want to press the undo or the redo button about something that seems minor on the surface, but it's eating away at you. And again, this is where you might have distress about the distress. Why am I ruminating on this? Why can't I get over it? What is wrong with me? I have no control over my thoughts. So you're creating layers upon layers upon layers of anxiety, right? Anxiety squared, anxiety cubed, anxiety to the 109th power. And you're getting more and more self-conscious about it. Again, let in some light, let in some air. Why allow this cycle to take up mental space and energy? Good therapists help you break the dysfunctional thought pattern. That's one of the most basic things that we can do. And no matter how big or seemingly small that original event is or that original thing is that you're dwelling on, a skilled therapist can help you break free of it. So it's important to recognize you don't need a diagnosis for therapy You don't need to fit into a box. You might have a hard time even explaining what the problem is. You might have a hard time explaining why it matters so much to you or why it's bothering you so much, but that's exactly what a therapist can help with. They can help you untangle why something has taken up so much weight. And most importantly, they can help lessen its weight. They can help your thoughts lose weight. Okay, that went into a really weird direction This isn't about weight loss in the sense of your body. Please, let's not go there. But they can help your thoughts become less sticky. And they can help alleviate some shame, not by just letting you off the hook unduly or not holding you accountable for something that you've done, which is often a fear that people have. Oh, I shouldn't be let off the hook for this. But they can help you move forward and put some good back into the world and for yourself, too. Thanks for joining me today. Once again, I'm Dr. Andrea Bonnier, and this has been Baggage Check with new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Join us on Instagram at Baggage Check Podcast. Give us your take and opinions on topics and guests. And you know you've got that friend who listens to like 17 podcasts. We'd love it if you told them where to find us. 
Our original music is by Jordan Cooper, cover art by Daniel Marity, and my studio security, it's Buster the Dog. Until next time, take good care.